Hello, it's Vanessa from Beyond the Room and I'm here at VAMHN talking about violence, abuse and mental health at the Network Events Day and we've just broken up for lunchtime and I've just managed to catch Vanessa Munro from the University of Warwick um, talking from a legal perspective about the link between domestic abuse and suicide. Uh, Vanessa, do you want to just, um, for people who are listening online, give people a few key points about what you've been talking about today? Okay, so um, what I presented today was based as a jumping off point on work that I did with Ruth Aitken at Refuge um, and colleagues at Refuge. Um, in 2018 which was looking at the scale of suicidality amongst clients um, in that had access refuge over a fixed period of time um, and we looked at the factors which increased or decreased the likelihood of suicidality and part of the reason that we wanted to do that work was to inform legal discussions about the serious effects of psychological mm-hmm. abuse um, and the ways in which experiencing psychological abuse can cause in a legally relevant sense the suicide of a victim um, in order to pave the way for holding perpetrators liable for potential manslaughter charges Um, and what i was doing in the presentation today was setting some of that out but also raising questions about how even when we have the legal principles in place to support that kind of liability there's still a lot of work to be done around understanding how jurors are going to perform their role in the criminal justice process in terms of recognising coercive, controlling and psychologically abusive behaviour as meriting criminal punishment and seeing that behaviour as having been a a cause of death in a way that means that perpetrators should be held accountable. Yeah, so we've obviously had the recent changes in law around coercive control. Have you started to see any changes or do you think we've still got a long way to go around changing culture and understanding um, coercive control and being able to kind of evidence and prove that? and then obviously then to be able to link it to a person's suicide as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, certainly the the creation of that offence is a big Mm. moment in terms of recognition of this as a serious harm and and a kind of harm that the criminal law conventionally has always struggled to properly recognise. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, the origins of your kind of assault legislation go back Mm. to the 19th century so they they start off in a very grounded sense of physical abuse and they've only very progressively widened that to understand psychiatric injury is also serious and now this evolving recognition of psychological harm as as an injury that the law should be concerned about a criminal law should be concerned about Um, but what we don't have any sense of yet I don't think really and of course the legislation is still quite new is um, around the extent to which the jury um, are able to work with that more sophisticated understanding of psychological abuse, which um, the research has fleshed out for us really beautifully and is acknowledged in the legislation, but how much of that is a kind of common sense understanding that people are working with mm-hmm. in the courtroom. Yeah, so um, what will the plans be around um, jurors? Uh, is, there, 
is there a lot of recommendations going on at the moment around training jurors to understand the terms better because obviously what happens in court is going to have a big impact isn't it and people's understanding yeah so there's been a lot of work around jurors in sexual offence cases much more so I would say than domestic abuse situations at least in the UK um, part of the difficulty is that you can the rules of the legislation prevent you from doing research with real jurors in real yeah. cases asking about their deliberations. Um, so I'm in the early stages of talking with a couple of colleagues about staging some kind of jury simulation work which would look at how jurors might be approaching coercive control offences. Um, but that's early stages. Yeah, there was a comment in the room about um, family, family courts as well. Are you able to just explain to people online what, in terms of the legal process, what some of the issues were? Yeah, so I think that the one of the things which came out in our research was that there seemed to be a suggestion that um, clients who had children were less likely to experience suicidality or, or less likely to act on suicidal thoughts mm. because the existence of children in part gave them a reason to, to continue and there's you know, undoubtedly something in that but that's also obviously a complicated yes. aspect because um, the existence of children and the fear about those children being taken out of your custody mm. if you disclose serious mental health and, and um, suicidality issues means that it's also quite likely that people would not disclose in that situation. Yeah. So although our numbers of overall disclosures were quite high, there's reason to think that in reality the levels are much higher than that again. Yeah. There seems to be an important role there in around CAFCAS as well, I would say, understanding about um, women feeling able to disclose safely suicidal feelings um, because of the fear that they then might have their children taken off them. And I'm thinking, because I've done work in prisons, working with pregnant women and, um, and women who've been separated from the babies, and, and clearly I can say anecdotally from my experience that it is a very real fear that women have, um, and it is an absolute barrier around, you know, supporting people and understanding and keeping people safe, so, yeah. Thank you.